and now from the University of Colorado in Boulder, the College of Engineering and Applied Science presents On Cue. Welcome to this edition of On Cue. I'm Josh Roten. Research funding at the college has gone up each year for the last four years, topping $108 million this last cycle. That funding from the National Science Foundation, Department of Defense, NASA, and others enables our students and faculty to tackle the biggest problems in the world today. Their work touches on personalized medicine, quantum engineering, clean energy, national security, and so, so much more. To put the impact of their work in context, today we're looking at two research projects at our college that could be transformational at both the individual and global levels. Imagine you wake up in the middle of the night and your hand's asleep. You can still feel it, sort of, but your brain and your hand aren't talking to each other properly. Fine motor skills like picking up your phone to see what time it is are non-functioning to the point of being non-existent, but your brain is also having a hard time judging where your hand and the attached fingers are in space, or even in relationship to each other. Doctors and scientists describe this second aspect as proprioception. That's a fancy word for your sense of your body's position in space. It's how we can tell if our hand is over our head or your eyes are shut, for example. It's also how you can tell how fast your fingers and thumb are moving towards each other as they try and close around the light switch next to your bed to figure out what's ever happening in the dark. You can probably think of a few other examples, and it's an important aspect of how we function every single day, but... That feeling is, is, is what amputees experience every day. Their limbs are numb. And what we know is that it's about half of the utility of the limb is from the sensory feedback. I'm Jacob Siegel from the Engineering Plus program here in uh, CU Boulder, and uh, my work is on prosthetic limb development. Siegel's latest project is a partnership with Case Western University and the Cleveland VA Medical Center, along with other researchers at CU Boulder. The team's trying to perfect prosthetic fingertip sensors for amputees that would allow patients to actually feel tactile and sensory sensations again through nerve interfaces. The tips they are developing are starting to be tested and can eventually be used in take-home clinical trials. If successful, the work could significantly improve the quality of life for many people in the U.S. and around the world. This work has been a collaboration with a, several groups. Uh, here on campus at CU Boulder, I'm working with Nicholas Carell and his robotics lab in the computer science department. Uh, they developed the initial uh, sensing technology. We then uh, basically reformulated that for the needs of Dr. Dustin Tyler at the Cleveland VA Medical Center so that we could uh, partner this technology with his neural interface. The goal is to have the technology in the fingertips talk to the nerves. The way Siegel describes this sounds simple, but it's deceptively complicated feat to accomplish. Electrodes are placed inside the amputee next to nerves and muscles that used to serve the hand that was lost. Electrical currents then stimulate the different nerve fibers to produce realistic sensations that feel as though they're coming from the missing hand or arm. So what we do is we measure uh, a few things here at the fingertip. Proximity is distance away, so these, these fingertips can see. It's like we have eyes on our fingers. Um, and then we also measure force, that's tactile information. We send it along as a digital signal to the hand. The hand has a brain in it, a motherboard, uh, which decodes and translates those signals um, and sends them to the neural interface. The neural interface stimulates, literally electrocutes, the nervous system it does so in a perfect way so that the sensation is recreated. They feel the touch again. Having that sense of touch allows for better control and more embodiment of the prosthetic device. 
That is, these fingertips close the loop between the brain, nervous system, and the prosthesis, blending man and machine together fully. That helps with the healing process because they no longer feel like they have a prosthetic. They feel like they have a hand. Siegel said the hardest part going forward will be making the prosthetics rugged enough for everyday use. The body's incredibly durable and can heal things like a broken finger itself. Plastic fingers? Well, plastic can't do any of that. The hard part about our field is that we're trying to recreate the body, which is very durable. Uh, plastics are not, right? Uh, it won't break today, but over six months of use it will. And so that's part of the the hardest mechanical design challenges are to create a, a product that can withstand everyday use. Uh, people go outside in the cold, people go uh, play on the beach. Uh, you're designing for all those circumstances to make sure that this, the technology works in all of them and that it can withstand that abuse. Siegel gets excited talking about the technical aspects of the project, but he said the human impact is just as important to him. I enjoy the engineering challenges. Uh, was what was my first interest but then we've right throughout my career I've seen that feedback as well uh, this summer I saw an amputee feel the hand that he lost it's amazing I understand all the technological challenges but then you see the social impact and it, and it means a lot Our next story takes us to the National Wind Technology Center just outside of Boulder. Here the National Renewable Energy Laboratory tests water power and grid integration. It's a 305-acre plot of land that's visible from Highway 128 south of the university and city. It's also been used for the past 40 years to design, research, and validate wind power control systems. From the road you can see several white turbines scattered across an open field, spinning from wind off the canyon, but one is utterly unique to the rest. For one thing, it has two blades instead of three. It also looks like it's set up backwards because it's pointing in the opposite direction of all the others. It's all part of a new federal research project here at CU Boulder. My name is Lucy Powell and I'm a professor in electrical, computer, and energy engineering um, here at CU Boulder. Powell is leading the work here, which is a partnership with her former PhD student, Katherine Johnson, who's now an associate professor at Colorado School of Mines, and colleagues from several other universities and agencies. The team is working to solve several issues that have limited the potential of turbines to this point, including the need for ever larger, stiff blades to increase power output. We have an Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy open project that's a relatively large interdisciplinary team project on designing and controlling extreme scale wind turbines. And by extreme scale, we're talking 50, 50 megawatt wind turbines. And most commercial wind turbines now are about 5 megawatts to 8 megawatts. And so we're really looking kind of very far down the line and looking at what, will, what could be possible at the 50, 50 megawatt level. To give you some perspective, current turbines, the ones you're probably picturing and see from the side of the road, those are about the size of the Statue of Liberty. The ones this research could lead to would be much, much larger, about the size of the Eiffel Tower, in fact, with blades about 200 meters or 650 feet long. To get that big, however, there are a lot of things that need to be tested. 
working with aerodynamicists, structural dynamicists, uh, and then our part is in the control systems. We've been uh, working together to design a very, very large scale rotor. Uh, it's a two-bladed downwind rotor and we've designed uh, an extreme scale turbine and then we gravo aero elastically scaled down to 20 meter blades so that they could be manufactured and then we can test them in a scaled version so that it's less expensive uh, to test. Powell has been working with the wind energy industry for 15 years now. When I first got into this area, I was very surprised that most wind turbine control systems, even now, do not use measurements of the wind in the control system. And so one of the things, first things that we worked on was how do we incorporate measurements of the wind, and this was actually a collaborative effort with atmospheric scientists and remote sensing scientists on how can you measure wind speeds that are coming into the wind turbine, make use of that in developing a controller. Uh, so then the controller is not just reacting on feedback information, but also being able to, to have preview wind information in improving the performance. Understanding how the wind and the turbine interact is an important part of building these larger turbines. The team's testing turbine at NREL is only about 12 stories tall, smaller than those in circulation now and a tiny version of the massive ones they hope to one day produce, but ready for testing for a variety of factors. Its two blades are designed to be morphing, for example, meaning they're much lighter and more flexible than traditional versions. That aspect is inspired by nature, and Pau said the idea is that the blades can bend like palm trees in the wind, making them ideal for offshore use where turbines would have to withstand hurricane force winds. The downwind configuration plays into this as well, the idea being that strong winds would push the larger, more flexible blades away from the base of the structure instead of into it, causing damage and reducing operations, if not destroying it altogether. You can actually see videos of this happening online in Europe. It's spectacular and hypnotizing at the same time. Terrifying too, even. The two-blade design would also mean less material needed for production, lowering the upfront costs. Pau said the team is also exploring how to make the blades in segments rather than one long piece. That would reduce the cost of shipping and installation as well. With the Department of Energy calling for 20% penetration of wind energy into the national grid by 2030, the team is excited for the project's potential. From Powell's description, it's easy to picture a farm with these massive wind turbines, maybe off the eastern seaboard somewhere, inspired by natural design to survive harsh conditions. Ultimately, if successful, this could really drive down the, the cost of wind energy, which is one of the reasons for going to very large scale. This has been On Cue. For more information, visit colorado.edu slash engineering.